All right, well, good morning. You can go ahead and uh, grab a seat. It's uh, great to be back with you today. I was away last weekend um, in Texas for a wedding, had the uh, privilege of getting to perform the ceremony for a former student of mine. And uh, right after the ceremony, I ended up completely losing my voice. Uh, so I've been struggling a little bit this week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be okay today. But Man, I appreciate Brayden filling in for me last week, but excited to be back with you today and excited for Christmas Eve services, uh, just one week away. Um, so this year, because Christmas Eve is on the Sunday morning, we're going to be sticking with our normal service times, 9, 10, 10 30, uh, and, and 12. And if you're not going to be traveling that day, you're not visiting family, we hope that you'll plan on joining us for one of those services. And a couple of requests that I have for you when it comes to Christmas Eve, especially if you call Life Point home. The first one is this, is to invite somebody to join you. Invite somebody to join you on, on, on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> People are uh, more open during this season of the year to an invitation to church than any other time during, during the year. So if you've got a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody in your life who doesn't know Jesus, Man, would encourage you this week, take some time, invite them, bring them uh, with you next week to our Christmas Eve services. They're going to hear a clear gospel uh, presentation about the difference that Jesus can make in their life. So invite somebody with you. And then secondly, um, would love for some of you to consider attending our 12 o'clock service next week. So our, our 9 and 1030 are by far our largest attended services, and it's where we're expecting a lot of our guests to show up. Uh, so would love for some of you to attend the 12 o'clock just next week to make room for the guests uh, as they, they come, you know, when they're bringing their family, we want to make sure the parking lot uh, has just a, a little bit of space that they're able to find seats in here with their family. Uh, but man, we're looking forward to Christmas Eve and hope that you'll plan on joining us next week. So today we are uh, continuing on in our teaching series called Love's Pure Light. And uh, during this series, we're walking through Colossians chapter one together and reflecting back on the Christmas season when God came to dwell among us and he brought his light into the darkness. And uh, so far in the series, we've seen that when Jesus came, that he brought us hope. Uh, last week, Braden talked about the fact that Jesus brought us joy. And uh, today, if you're taking notes, we're gonna see that Jesus brought us peace. Uh, Jesus brings and offers peace to each and every one of us. You know, if you've uh, paid attention to the uh, social climate over the, the past few years, you've probably noticed that there's been a significant uptick in the levels of anxiety and depression in our society, uh, especially over the past 10 to 15 years with the emergence of the things like the iPhone and, and social media, anxiety and depression are on the, the rise. Um, this past week, I, I read a study that one-third of adults in the United States reported dealing with anxiety or depression at some point during 2023. That's a, a pretty significant amount. And one half, 50% of adults in the, the age range of 18 to 24 reported dealing with anxiety or depression at some point in 2023. So there is clearly a, an anxiety epidemic in our society, in our nation. And the fact that it's only growing and increasing uh, with younger adults means that this is something that we're going to be navigating for decades to come. But even if you wouldn't say that you necessarily deal with anxiety or depression, you wouldn't necessarily put that kind of label on it, I think you would probably recognize a, a low-grade stress 
that you live with. Like this constant state of worry and anxiousness that's just always simmering in the, the background, whether it's over your, your finances, your job, uh, your family, politics, the economy. There's just always something going on in your mind. There's always this weight that you feel yourself carrying around from that worry and from that, that stress. And because of this constant state of, of stress or worry and anxiety that we live with, I believe that it's created this deep longing, this deep desire in our hearts for peace. This desire to, to be at rest from the, the worries and the stresses of life that all of us that have to navigate. This desire for this weight that we carry around to, to, to be removed. So today what I want us to do is I want us to look at two types of peace that we long for in our hearts. Whether we recognize it or acknowledge it, two types of peace that we long for, two types of peace that as humans we have been created, we have been designed by God to need. So if you're taking notes, the first kind of peace that I want to talk about today is peace with God. We have been designed and we have this deep longing in our hearts for peace with God. And this morning, we're continuing on in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, I uh, would encourage you to go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1. And here, Paul is he's really shifting gears. For the first 14 verses of Colossians, he's kind of doing his introduction to, to his letter, talking about here's who I'm writing to, here's what's going on. But in verses 15 through 20, Paul really begins to shift his focus and begins to, to focus on, on Jesus. And these six verses that we're going to look at today are arguably the most important verses in all of Scripture about the nature of Jesus. They speak to the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus, both in creation, the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, but also in our redemption and our salvation. So in Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 15, you'll see the, the, the verses on the screen as well. Paul says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Paul says that, that the Son, talking about Jesus, he is the image, he is the picture of God. He is the physical manifestation of the invisible God. In fact, while Jesus was, was here on earth and he was interacting with his disciples and his followers, he said to them, hey, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. He is the perfect reflection and representation of our heavenly Father. But Paul also says about Jesus that he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, when, when Paul is talking about Jesus being the, the, the firstborn, he's not referring to birth order. Firstborn doesn't mean that he was created first or that he was born first, although I think we can all agree that firstborns are superior. Any firstborns in the, in the room today? I, I think it's pretty unanimous, especially from Scripture, that firstborns are the best. But firstborn here, it doesn't speak to the order, but to the position and the rank of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is supreme over all creation. He's in first place. He's in a league and a category all by himself. Second place is so far removed that's not even in the, the, the same dimension. He is supreme. He is first over all creation. And then verse 16, Paul says this, for in him, talking about Jesus, 
all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And here Paul is emphasizing for us Christ's role in creation. And he makes three statements to support this. He says that in him all things were created, that all things have been created through him, and that all things have been created for him. He says, whether in, in heaven or on earth, whether visible or invisible, Jesus has made it all. And Paul is being clear. Listen, Jesus, and this was some of the, the, the false belief that was going on. He's saying, Jesus was not a part of the creation. He was not a created being. He was not derived from God. No, no, no. Jesus was the one who was doing the creating because he himself is God. And this is consistent with what John wrote in his gospel account. He said that through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All things have been created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. He is supreme. He is in first place over all of creation. And then Paul says this, verse 17. He is before all things, meaning he's, he's existed eternally. He's outside of time. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. So Paul, he, he shifts his focus from talking about creation to now talking about the fact that, that Jesus, he is supreme in our redemption, in our salvation. And he says that Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. And once again, firstborn isn't referring to order because Jesus wasn't the first person to be raised from the dead. We read about resurrection that happens in the Old Testament. We see it in the, the New Testament with, with Lazarus. He wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. But his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, is the prototype. It's the example for the resurrection that will one day come for all believers, that when Jesus returns, those who have trusted in him, they will be brought back to life. They will be resurrected and given glorified bodies. Christ is the head of this new creation that is going to take place. He is supreme in our redemption and our salvation. And then Paul, he finishes his thoughts in verse 19 and 20. He says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. Here's, here's the question I want us to, to think about for a minute. Why do we need peace with God? And why, why do we need peace with God? Because I think for, for many people, they would assume when it comes to God and their relationship with him, they're, they're kind of, they're neutral towards God. Like they, they may not be, you know, for God, but they're certainly not against him. They may not be following him and, <clears throat> and obeying him and pursuing him, but they're certainly not, you know, working against God and, and opposed to God. For, for many people, they would say, man, I don't, I don't need peace with God because I'm, I'm cool with God. There's almost this attitude of indifference towards God and their relationship with him. They're, they're neutral towards God, but here's what, what we need to understand. We are not neutral towards God when it comes to our relationship with him. 
In fact, we are by default as human beings enemies with God. We are at odds with him. We are working against him. And I know that may sound kind of extreme and harsh, and you may be thinking about yourself and your life and and think, man, I've never been against God. I've never been been an enemy of God. But listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, as for you, you were dead, talking about spiritually, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, talking about Satan, talking about our spiritual enemy, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says this, all of us, every single one of us, we lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, we are born with a sin nature. We have been corrupted by sin, a sin nature that is in rebellion against God from the time that we're born. We're in rebellion against our creator. And this sin nature, it has corrupted everything about us. It's corrupted our our will, our hearts, our minds, our, our, our desires, Paul says that because of our sin nature, we are by nature as human beings deserving of God's wrath. We are deserving of eternal separation from God because of our sin. We are not by default just neutral towards God. We're not cool with God. And this is exactly why Jesus came over 2,000 years ago. He came on a mission to reconcile the world to himself, a world that had been corrupted and broken by sin, a world that was at war with itself, a world that was at war with God, and he came to make peace between us and God. And how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus reconcile the world to himself? It says, by the shedding of his blood, on the cross. You see, Jesus, he took on the wrath and the judgment that you and I deserved on the cross, the wrath and the judgment that we deserved for our sin and our rebellion, and he was the atoning sacrifice. He was the payment for our sin, for our penalty. You see, we're, we're not able on our own to make peace with God. Because Paul says that that we are spiritually dead, meaning we can't reconcile ourselves to God. We can't make peace with God through our own effort and our own goodness and our own achievement. We can't atone or make payment for our sin, which is why God made the first move towards reconciliation. And that's what we, we remember. That's what we think about and celebrate during the Christmas season, that God stepped out of heaven into our broken world. He made the first move towards reconciliation. And through his death on the cross, he made a way for you, he made a way for me to have peace with God. Listen, the, the message of the gospel isn't, hey, try harder, do better, do more so that you can be cool with God, so that God will accept you. The message of the gospel is rest in what Jesus has already done and accomplished for you on the cross. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with your heavenly father 
because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And whether you you realize it or acknowledge it, you have a deep longing in your heart, in your soul, to have peace with God, to have peace with your heavenly Father. But you see, there's another kind of peace that we desire as well, another kind of peace that, that we long for. And if you're taking notes, it's this. We desire the peace of God. Now, I believe there there are many of you in here today who have peace with God, meaning you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation. You have been made right with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're no longer working against God. No, you are now a friend of God. You have been accepted by God. But you are not experiencing the peace of God in your life. There are so many things that battle and and wage war within us. Things like anxiety, depression, worry, shame, guilt. It's things that, that, that eat us from the inside. And we have these soundtracks that play over and over in our minds. These, these messages, these, these, these thoughts that just seem to be on repeat, they're on loop. Things like, man, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'll never be accepted. I'll never be secure. I'll never be a success. If people really knew me, they, they wouldn't love me. We have these messages, these soundtracks that play over and over, and, and, and we want them to stop. We want to escape from them. We want to kind of drown out these soundtracks, these, these, these thoughts that are in our mind. So what do we do? We go looking for peace in a lot of different places. We try to escape from, from, from the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the, and the shame. Some of us, we, we, we go and we, we self-medicate to try to, to numb it. Whether that's through alcohol or drugs or pornography, we pursue some kind of pleasure, some kind of dopamine hit to, to numb and dull the, the, the pain. Some of us, it's through self-discovery or, 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 or self-enlightenment where we try to become the greatest version of ourselves. We try to maximize our potential. Some of us, we look for peace through achievement and success in our career Some of us, we look for peace in the relationships in our life, whether it's our spouse or our kids or a dating relationship. Some of us look for peace in in our finances and accumulating and storing more for ourselves. But if you've, you've ever been on this chase for peace, you found that none of these things provide that peace that you so desperately long for. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a season, they drown out the pain, they take away the anxiety, but eventually it bubbles back up in your heart and in your mind. But listen to what what Paul says later on in Colossians chapter three. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So Paul has already talked about in chapter one how we can have peace with God, how Jesus has reconciled all things to himself. But now in chapter three, he's not talking about peace with God, but the peace of God. And he says to let it rule in your hearts. And the word for for rule here, it literally means to be an umpire. Now think about an umpire or a, a referee in a sporting event. 
You know, when a, when a play happens in a football game, whether it's a, a fumble or an interception or a touchdown, the, the, the players on the field, the coaches on the sideline, the announcers, they can have opinions about what the call should be. And they can get up in the ref's face and they can argue with them about what the right call is. They can even throw a flag and challenge what the call should be. But at the end of the day, the referee, the umpire, has the final say. They get to decide. They get to determine alone what the final call is. And you see, in the same way, Paul is saying to let the peace of Christ have the final say in your life. Let the peace of Christ be first place in your heart. Let it decide and determine what is right and what is true. Let it rule. Let it be an umpire in your heart. But here's what I wonder. And if we're being honest with, with ourselves, and what is ruling in your heart? What has first place in your life? What has the final say in your life? Listen, what we worry about most, that thing that we are most anxious about, often reveals what is ruling our heart. It often reveals what has the final say in our life because it reveals what we're looking to for our security, our identity, our significance, and our peace. And so, so what, what is it for you? What, what is that thing that has first place in your heart, that has the final say in your life right now? Is it, is it your career? Is it your, your children? Is it your finances? Is it your education? Is it your reputation? What is sitting on the throne of your heart? What has first place? What is reigning supreme in your life? You know, for me, the, the thing that competes for first place in my heart is my finances. You know, since I was in high school, <clears throat> I've always struggled with, with worry and stress about money. And uh, not in a, hey, I'm being a good steward of what God has given me, although that's kind of the, the excuse that, that I'll use, but it's where I'm tempted to look to my finances for my security and for my peace. I remember, you know, even as early as junior, senior year of high school, being stressed and worried about how I was going to pay for college. And I'm not talking about just normal, hey, how am I going to figure this out? But like this overwhelming sense of, of stress and worry about college. I remember as I was getting ready to graduate college and was going to be getting married, being worried and concerned about, man, how am I going to be able to provide for my family? How am I going to be able to provide for my wife? Am I going to be able to make enough? I remember resisting going into full-time ministry for several years because I was concerned, I was worried about, will I be able to, to make enough? I find myself, even today, stressing about, worrying about, am I going to have enough for retirement? Do I have enough put away? It's this weight that I constantly carry around. It's always on my mind, and there's this soundtrack that's on repeat, that's on loop of, will I have enough? Will I be secure? Will everything turn out all right? And I often fall for this lie that, man, you know, if I could just have enough, man, then I would be secure. If I just had enough in the bank, 
or if I just had enough in my retirement accounts, then I could be in control. But here's what I found. No matter how much I make, no matter how much I save, no matter how much I invest, I always find myself needing more. And that goalpost where I said, hey, if I got here, then I'd be good. That goalpost just keeps moving. And it never provides me with that source of peace that I, I, I desire and that I long for. And here's what happens. When something other than Jesus has first place in my heart, then the peace of Christ is unable to rule in my heart. When there's something other than Jesus at the center telling me, having the final say, determining what is true and what is right, it crowds out the peace of Christ in my heart and in my life, and I don't experience that. And maybe that's where you're at today. Man, if you were being honest, something other than Jesus has first place in your heart. Something other than Jesus is what you're looking to for your identity, your security, your significance. And because of that, man, you're not experiencing the peace of Christ in your life, the peace that, that God has offered to you. And you are carrying around this weight of anxiety and stress and worry and have crowded Jesus and his peace out of your life. Man, so if you find yourself there, you're not experiencing the peace of God in your life, then, then what do we do? How do we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our heart the way that Paul is talking about? Well, fortunately, Paul gives us some, some very helpful and practical steps for this. In Philippians chapter four, uh, Paul, he's, he's writing this letter from, from a prison cell. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to these believers. And listen to what he says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And you hear that and you're like, really? Don't be anxious about anything? And he would remind us, hey, I'm in a prison cell. I, I think I may have it worse than you. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and every means every by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, in, in every situation, with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and prayer, petition, thanksgiving, these aren't just synonyms where he's saying the, not cinnamon, synonyms. They are not synonyms where he's just saying the same thing over and over. These are three distinct things. Prayer is where we bring our request to God. We enter into dialogue, into conversation with God. Petition means to make a formal request to God. And we make the formal request based on the word and promises of God. And thanksgiving is where we remind ourselves and we recognize and acknowledge God's faithfulness in our life. So here's how this would, would look in my life. Here's how this would play out if I were to, to, to apply this. Man, when I start to feel stress about my finances, whether it's the, the interest rate out there and I start thinking about, man, how am I ever going to buy a home with 7 or 8% interest and remind myself that I left Florida where I had a 2.75% interest rate 
and I start to worry about that, or, or I, I'm at Costco, and I'm checking out with, with my kids, and I'm reminded of this insane inflation where this Costco trip is now costing three times what it used to cost, when that, sound, that soundtrack begins to play, man, will there be enough? Will I be secure? Man, do I have enough money? Am I going to be able to figure this out? When I feel that stress starting to, to bubble up, rather than internalizing it and holding on to it, what I do is I turn to God in prayer. And I bring that worry and stress to him. God, I am stressed about this. God, I am worried about this. God, I feel overwhelmed about this. I go to him in prayer. But then I petition God. And I petition God according to his word and his promises. And here's what that would look like. God, you said, you told me in Matthew chapter six to not worry about what I'll eat and what I'll drink and what I'll wear, but that if I seek after your kingdom, if I pursue you in your righteousness, you'll take care of the rest. So God, today, I'm holding you to that promise. Help me to seek after your kingdom and your will and provide for me like you said you would. God, you, you told me And Psalm 23, God, I'm not making this up. You told me in Psalm 23 that you are my shepherd and I shall not want. So God, help me to be content. Help me to rest in the fact that you are providing for me and help me to trust that you will provide my needs the way that you said that you have. We petition God based off what he has already told us, what he's already promised. And then I thank God for his thankful, for, I thank him for his faithfulness in the past. And I don't do it in some generic blanket statement. I'm specific about it. God, thank you for the way, when I was a senior in high school, that you provided enough scholarships to cover my tuition. God, you came through for me in that moment. God, thank you for the way that you provided the the perfect jobs for me and Brooke when we got married that allowed us to, to pay our bills, that allowed us to save for the future. Thank you for the way that you provided when I didn't know how it was gonna turn out. God, thank you for the way that you have been faithful to me since I said yes to full-time ministry, how you have always opened the right doors and provided for me and for my family. And God, because of your faithfulness in the past, these specific things that you've done, I am trusting that you will be faithful to me again. And listen, when we do this, when we pray, when we petition, when we thank God for his faithfulness, man, it doesn't eliminate the stress or the worry. It doesn't just magically vanish. I'm not suggesting today that if you just have enough faith and pray enough that the anxiety and the stress will just vanish and go away, but here's what happens. It moves the source of your worry, the source of your anxiety to second place in your heart. And it allows Christ to have first place in your heart. And Paul says that when that happens, when he has first place, the peace of God begins to guard and protect our minds, guard and protect our hearts, and the peace of Christ begins to rule, becomes the umpire, has the final say in our life. He doesn't just offer us peace with God, but the peace of God in our lives. And you see, there are two groups 
in this room today. The first group is those of you who need peace with God. And right now, you, you, you may feel like, man, you're, you're not following God, but you're, you're fine with God. But the, the Bible teaches us that if you have not trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you are an enemy of God. You are by nature deserving of God's wrath, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain an enemy of God. God invites us to become his friends. He invites us to be accepted and loved by him. And how does that happen? Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Paul says the way that we move from being an enemy with God to a friend of God, the way that we experience peace with God is through faith. Here's what faith is. It's a transfer of trust. Where rather than trusting in yourself and your own ability and your own goodness and your own efforts to try to earn your way to God, to try to be good with God, no, you transfer your trust off yourself and you put it on Jesus. On the one who died in your place on the cross, taking on the punishment that you deserve and made a way for you to be right with God, for you to know your heavenly father to be loved by him, to be accepted by him. And for some of you in here, there's never been a moment in your life where there has been that transfer of trust, where you've placed your faith in Jesus and what he did for you. Man, today, during this Christmas season, I believe that God is calling you and inviting you to place your faith in your trust in Jesus and to experience peace with God. But I think there's also many of you in here today who, who need the peace of God in your life. And you walked in today with the burden and the weight of stress and anxiety or shame. There's something that you're carrying around. There's a soundtrack that's playing over and over in your mind. And there's something other than Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart right now. There's something other than Jesus that has the final say in your life that's reigning supreme in your heart. And today Jesus is calling you, inviting you to let his peace rule in your heart, to have the final say. And that comes by, by simply turning to our heavenly father, by praying, by bringing it to him by petitioning God based off his promises and his word and by thanking him for his faithfulness and his goodness in your life. And like I said, this is not some magical formula. Do these three things and you're never gonna have stress or anxiety again. But it's a daily habit, a daily reflex of when we feel that stress, when we feel that anxiousness coming up in our mind, in our heart, rather than holding it, rather than internalizing it, rather than letting that soundtrack play over and over, we respond in prayer, we respond in petition, we respond in thanksgiving, and we let the peace of Christ have the final say in our heart and in our life. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, God, we thank you that Christmas means that that peace came to us. 
that when your angels appeared to, to the shepherds and announced the birth of Jesus, they announced peace on earth. Uh, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and that you have come so that we can have peace with God, with our Heavenly Father, that we don't have to, to live alienated from him. We don't have to live in hostility towards him, but God, that we can be accepted and loved by you because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for that. God, but we also thank you for, for the peace of God in our life, that it is tangible, it is real, that it covers the things that we walk through, health challenges, family issues, financial stress, the, the, the pains of this world that we deal with, God. We thank you that your peace guards our hearts and minds. And Lord, my prayer today for, for myself and for, for us, Lord, is that we would let, we would allow your peace to rule in our heart, that it would be first place, that it would have the final say. Jesus, we thank you that you meet us where we are, that you're never far from us, and you prove that to us by leaving heaven and coming to save us. So Jesus, it's in your name that we ask these things and that we pray. Amen.